0: In the latest episode of Vamos Verde, we are going to talk to one of the most prolific goal scorers in Major League Soccer history, Austin FC striker, Giazzi Artis. We also talked to some folks who have been bringing the soundtrack to Austin's nightlife for over 20 years and are now providing the soundtrack at Q2 Stadium, their official DJ collective, Peligrosa. That's the latest episode of Vamos Verde. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: from KUT and KUTX Studios. Hello, and welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives and give us a glimpse into their creative process. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and in this episode, we'll be hearing from Jim DeRogatis and Greg Cott, the hosts of the rock and roll radio talk show, Sound Opinions. Sound Opinions is produced by WBEZ in Chicago, but it airs on a bunch of stations, like here on KUTX, the radio station where we make this podcast. It airs at 6 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and... If you're listening to this show, well, you've probably heard Sound Opinions. But if you haven't heard Sound Opinions, well, the show is great. They don't just hip you to new music. They interview bands. They dig into music history, dissect classic albums. Like, there is a lot there to take in and to learn. So if you haven't listened, you totally should. Jim and Greg, they're music critics. And I've known more than a few music critics in my day, but I always had this, like, musician-critic relationship. Like, I made music, and I hoped like hell critics would listen to it and write something righteous about it, which didn't always happen. Like, I definitely got my fair share of middling or downright bad reviews. But, you know, in all those years, I never talked to a critic about their thing, their art, until I talked to Jim and Greg. And for real, they expanded my own... Myopic view of what criticism was and what it could do. So here they are, Jim DeRogatis and Greg Cotton.
0: Well, Elizabeth, I um, I have uh, essentially uh, not a great song, but I, I have a good story that goes with it. Um, in uh, 1979. Uh, early 79. It's it's wintertime. I grew up in Jersey City, New Jersey. And um, uh, I had a crush on on this girl. I was a sophomore in high school. And it was one of those basement rec room parties, you know. And um, uh, they locked me and the girl I was sweet on outside. Uh, I don't know what the ruse was to get us to go outside. But it's, it's like February. And it's uh, about 10 degrees. And it's snowing. And they weren't going to let us back in until we kissed, right? And uh, and so we did, and I enjoyed it for sure, <laughs> and I think she did, and uh, and and it was all very innocent. Nothing else happened that evening, but uh, I said afterwards, "Would you would you let me walk you home?" And she said, "Well, of course." And um, uh, so I walked her home, and I'm walking through. Uh, the cold after I walked her six or eight blocks home and, uh, back to my house and, uh, and I get home and I'm just, I'm high as a kite, right? Like, I kissed a girl. Whee! This is great. And, uh, and I turn on WNEWFM and, uh, The Police Come On. Uh, their second album, Regatta de Blank, had just come out and, uh, uh, you know, the single, the second single was Walking on the Moon. And um, now, look, I think even then, I was enough of a rock critic, even as a sophomore in high school, that I knew the police were rather cheesy, you know, but uh, I think it was the first time in my nascent, music-loving, soon-to-be rock critic career when I realized that this was a song uh, about my life, uh, sort of, you know, walking back from your house, walking on the moon, feet don't hardly touch the ground, walking on the moon, and that was the experience I had just had. Sting was talking to me. Walking back from you!
1: Walking on the moon, walking back on your house, walking on the moon. We did not touch the
2: ground, walking on the moon. We don't make no sound, walking on, walking
0: on the moon. Before that, I hadn't ever analyzed a song and realized. What the singer was talking about, and what he was talking about was the experience I had just had. You know, even when you love music and you consume it voraciously, there are certain songs that speak to you about a particular time and place where you are at the moment uh, that take you back. You know, why are people so nostalgic? Why? Why? Are the 72- or 73-year-old Rolling Stones going to tour again for $400 a ticket, right? You know, the the people who fill the stadiums to hear them play the same 24-song set list they play at every stadium show for the last 40 years, they're not hearing the 72-year-old Rolling Stones. They're hearing the Stones Uh, at the age that they were when they fell in love with the Stones and at the same age, right? So, you know, this power of music to take you back to a particular time and place, right? Proust opens up uh, Remembrances of Things Past, you know, this 2,000-word novel uh, that's autobiographical about his life, you know, by walking – down the streets of paris and the bakery door is open and he smells the baking of the madeleines and that transports him i think even more powerful than anything like that you know i mean literally thinking about that song right now i am once again uh you know 14 or whatever i was walking through the snow in jersey city you know, holding hands i think she let me hold her hand with and i you know i remember her name i remember the way she smelled i remember the way she looked and i don't remember nothing you know, I, like I'll forget my own birthday. You know, but 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 that comes back absolutely, viscerally, vividly. Oh That's yeah, the power of music.
1: I mean, it is. It's like that the time machine. It, like it's literally like entering a time machine. Certain songs that stand out of these markers in your life.
0: I think the sad thing, though, is so many people are are willing to stop the playlist in their head and in their life at at a certain point. And, and you know, see, I you know, Greg Cotton and I uh, with Sound Opinions, we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't believe we're gonna hear the best song ever written tomorrow. You know, it doesn't stop, but so many people just stop consuming music. You know, people who love fine dining or the theater or film or or visual art don't say, "Well, I've seen this fantastic exhibition at the Art Institute of Chicago. I'm never going to need to see art again."
1: I do think it is sad that people turn off that their ability to like continue to appreciate music, but I also understand because I think it changes all the sounds of your childhood that like evoke all these memories. When they disappear, I think people have a really hard time dealing. Well, with yeah, that, you know who you likes know? to
0: be reminded that you're getting older. Yeah,
1: well, there's that. <laughs> but there are
0: joys of being old too. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, again, I think that's sad. Why would you shut down? Uh, you know the the entire realm of experience that art can can deliver to you um you know i, I don't know i never have maybe i haven't grown up maybe i'm still perpetually uh, uh, the 13 year old walking through the snow in jersey city
1: Well, and maybe it's because you are a critic and have been thinking critically about music since you were that young. Um, I mean, I wonder yeah, but like... You know, you know, I have to underscore,
0: though, that Greg and I, our entire approach to criticism is that everyone who loves uh, any art form, but in particular music, is a critic. I mean, if you talk about it and think about it and are passionate about it, you're a critic. We're just... We have conned the world in into paying us. Now, we're at public radio, so we don't get paid that well, right? But, you know, but we get paid something to do what we love. But I think everybody who's, who's passionate about an art form, you know, I mean, if you and I were hanging out in the basement playing records for each other, we would be doing that, criticism. It's a passionate discussion between people. I want to know the way you hear that song. You want to know the way I hear that song. The point isn't to tell you what to buy or to change your mind. It's the prism through which we examine life.
1: Well, and that was my question for you. Like, I, I feel like to, you know, to a greater or lesser degree, no human being really knows what it means to be human. And so we spend our entire lives trying to figure it out. And art is one of the huge resources for us to go to, to turn to and to figure out, like, what it means to be human. And But when you're a critic, it's like there's this whole metal level because I approach music like as a musician. That's what I primarily did for a really long time. So there's the musician who makes the music who's trying to figure out something about themselves or about the universal experience of being human. And then there's the listener who hears this and then is trying to figure out something and hopefully relating to that. Like if it's a successful song, then you do hear it and you think like some aspect of it, whether it's sonic or whether it's lyric some aspect of that relates to me and then there is what you do which is criticism um do you think like part of what you're trying to do is just facilitate those conversations about oh yeah like,
0: it's it's all about conversation i don't think any critic worth her or his salt uh ever wants to have the final word on a piece of art they just want the conversation to get rolling uh you know greg cotton i see the world very differently see music differently disagree on a lot but but we both come from that place you just want to start this conversation. And so, uh, you know, criticism is just just articulating uh, the head and the heart, your emotional reaction to this work of art and your analysis, what it says to you. So you and me and Greg Kott could go traipse down Michigan Avenue and stand in front of uh, Nighthawks by Edward Hopper, right? And we're three different people, so we are going to th- see three different paintings, and to only— you know, I think it's an intellectual shortcoming and just like you're not really alive if you stay there and stand there and say, well, you know, my reading of Edward Hopper's Nighthawks is the only one. No, I want to know what Greg sees in that painting. I want to know what you, Elizabeth, see. And it's in the three of us talking about that piece of art. We're going to come to understand that piece of art in a deeper way, number one. But we are going to come to understand each other In a deeper way, which is almost more significant Um, because, uh, you know, you're going to see things that I haven't seen that only you were going to see and Greg and, and me, you know, and it's so so it's this we're really talking about life, you know, when we talk about art, you know, and how we see the world.
1: Right on. Well, I'm really glad I asked you that question.
0: Yeah, well, I, we got all existential here, you know. No, hey, that, I, mean, I, I also good. like Smash Mouth, and I, I can't defend Smash Mouth in any way, shape, or it's, I like the tunes, man. It ain't no joke, i like to buy the world a to token, teach the world to sing it.
2: absolutely i mean there's so many possibilities uh where i could go with this but uh what's been on my mind lately is um patty smith and her debut album horses and the first song on that record Um, her cover version of van morrison's gloria people say beware but i don't care So going to college, freshman year, Marquette University in Milwaukee, um, I would uh, I worked at a, um, a Greyhound bus station as a fast food uh, cook. Uh, cook is kind of an ele- elevated term for basically making hamburgers for people who are in a bad mood. Um, but, uh, you know, the money I would earn, I would take down uh, to a record store every Friday and buy one record. And I sort of vowed to you know, buy something new every, every weekend um, to the point where I would sort of expand my knowledge. Because I was intrigued by all these kids at Marquette who had these diverse opinions about music, uh, much of which I had never heard of. So I saw this record cover and I go, what the heck is, is Patti Smith? I'd never heard of her, but I couldn't. That Robert Mapplethorpe cover, that black and white cover, really intrigued me. And um, I, br- I brought it home and uh, back to my dorm room and, and played it and that here, here comes Jesus died for somebody's sins but not mine on her cover of the Gloria. And I'm like, what?
1: Jesus died for somebody's sins but not mine. Milton, part of thieves. Wow called a
2: And that, that whole song sort of was flipping gender roles Sting. and there was an eroticism about it and a momentum to it. And then that ding dong, ding dong part in the middle of the song where she's sort of channeling, you know, bubblegum and girl group music and in this really ecstatic sense in the middle of this uh, erotic dreamscape that she was painting it was just thrilling and confusing and exhilarating. Um, it, It really, it was one of those songs that when I wasn't playing it, I was thinking about it.
1: What was it about that line about like Jesus died for somebody's sins but not mine? I mean, what was it? About that line that you said it—it it kind of turned things upside down for you. Well,
2: it was so sacrilegious, and I loved it for that. Um, you know, I, uh, as I said, when you're bro- born a stone-cold Catholic, you know, my parents were, were Polish raised; they were immigrants. You know, Pol- Poland is a very stoic Catholic country. You know, you went to you went to church every every Sunday in my house. You know, along with many other people in, in the community that I grew up in. Uh, it was just a big part of your life. You go to Catholic school, you know the nuns and the you know the nuns are your teachers. You know you have this very strict, kind of disciplined, religious-based upbringing, and for somebody to say something like that in the environment I grew up in would have been like, oh, you know that would have been a big shock. It would have been like you you don't say that kind of stuff. You know you're gonna get. You know, you're going to get a whipping from your dad, you know, when he gets home from work, that kind of thing, you know. So it was uh, it was it was shocking to hear something like that. And at the same time, it was intriguing because, you know, what what is she going on about? And, um, you know, I found out later that, you know, she grew up in a very religious household and and, and she was in some ways rebelling against it. But she wasn't saying that. Uh, Jesus is, is, is wrong or don't believe in Jesus. She very much believed in in Jesus. What she was saying in that song and in that album, in that pose on that album cover is don't don't use that as an excuse for not doing something. Don't use religion or God or any institution as, as something that is preventing you from doing something. If you want to do it, do it. Be your own person. think for yourself and the more i listened to it the the more that message would come through and at first i probably couldn't have articulated it the way i was doing the way i am now but over time i found that that song and that record and that artist has always stuck with me and i always see that as kind of a turning point moment in my life where it sort of blew open a new world for me and it was kind of a gateway into this whole subculture you know we, pretty soon we were you know exchanging records by the ramones and uh, artists like that, um, the Clash, the Sex Pistols, you know, X-Ray Specs—you name it—we were interested in this music that was not the mainstream and was was talking about um, uh, alternative ways of looking at the world that we were raised in, and that was very exciting to us, you know, and and it did open our minds to new ideas and the idea that, you know, hey, it's okay to challenge authority, it's okay not to to be in step with everybody else around you it's okay to be different it's okay to to be the outsider it's okay to uh question authority so these these were all really powerful ideas and it all started uh, for me with that song
1: I think there was something about it being like that message coming in a musical form because it sounded like you know as particularly with this song there was something that you were hearing where she was speaking out against you know not against religion but she was kind of like twisting these ideas of religion that you had been raised with into something making them into something different and there was also you said like an eroticism something like like a sexualized feeling that oh, was absolutely. coming through um I mean Do you think you could have gotten those messages any other way? Or do you think that it needed to be music?
2: I can't think of another art form that could have done it for me in that way because there was something about those chords of the piano and that sort of ominous, expectant atmosphere that the song starts in. And then those words. And then it's followed by this escalating rush of instruments. And the way the song sort of ebbed and surged, you know, it was not a conventional three-minute pop song. It was this kind of epic uh, journey of of this uh, uh, relationships that's being consummated. But it sounds like she's a guy singing the song, but clearly she's a woman. And it's this very you know, what's going on here? You know, your mind is just kind of being, you know, thrown for a loop here because it's not, you're not, you know, you're not being presented with information that relates to anything you've seen or heard before. So it was all very, very powerful. But, you know, the musical setting, the atmosphere that the music created, I can't emphasize that enough, had a big, big part of it. If it had just been words on a page, it probably would have been pretty thrilling but I think the reason I paid attention to it at all was because of that music. And then, you know, just getting the full picture of what was going on in that song was was, was really powerful.
1: And do you think you said you you were, like, uh, exhilarated and confused? You had all these, like, you know, an, a bit terrified by this song. Um, and that you you said when you weren't playing it, you were thinking about it. So at the time, I mean, later you'd go on to be a music critic. and But at the time... Were you trying to figure out what it was about this song at the time or were you just like um, just enjoying the experience over and over again or like like I'm trying to figure out like if maybe this started you down the path of music criticism?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was it was a very exciting kind of experience that led me to the notion of this is this stuff has a lot of substance to it. It's thought it's thought provoking. And I was starting to read a lot of criticism at the time. I was already starting to dabble in writing record reviews in high school, and I didn't really quite know what I was doing yet, but I knew that I liked music and I loved writing. And um, the, the two sort of melded in college. They, they, they definitely came together. So I think there's a direct line from hearing those records, like Patti Smith's debut record, and going into writing reviews of, of shows, um, and, and records um, that, that, that is very direct. Um, I remember reading um, Grail Marcus's Mystery Train and, and seeing how beautifully he wrote about music and, and sort of putting it in a larger context, and those ideas were very exciting to me, you know, the idea that music was more than just about this particular record, but it was something greater than that in terms of, you know, it resonated in a way that, was, that, that sort of told you something about the world that you lived in and how you thought about it. And you could draw this kind of, this kind of information out of, a, out of a piece of music, you know, like a, a three-minute song could convey so much uh, information and, 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 and tell, make you see the world in a new way. And it was a, it was a very short step to saying, I want to write about that and try to explain that, first of all, to myself, and then maybe to somebody else who might want to, you know, share in the experience and bring their own two cents to it. So, um, you know, I, I found myself being so excited about records that I wanted to write about them. I wanted to tell the world about them.
1: I mean, it sounds like part of your music criticism always goes back to that, like, room, sitting in a room with a bunch of people and saying, like, hey, you've got to hear this. But, but maybe in a bigger scale, trying to figure out, like, well, why, why do I have to hear this? And then you're like, well, let me tell you why you have to hear this. Because um, it tells you something about us. And Absolutely. what we are. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and, I, and I can't emphasize enough that part of that listening experience, it wasn't like, a, you know, oh, this is background music. I mean, we would put these records on and they were like sacred objects. You know, it was like, OK, now everybody's listening to this at the same time. And it, it was absolute silence. I mean, you'd be, you know, smoking and drinking and all that stuff, whatever, you know, all the activities that college kids, uh, all the trouble that they can get into when, when they're away from their, their classroom. Uh, and we were indulging in those things, but they were part of the experience of listening to the music, and they really focused your concentration on the music. It was, it was not background. It was by no means background. It was very, It was something that we took. Uh, you know, very seriously in terms of this is really great stuff. These people are sending messages. You know, we need to hear them. You know, it was like that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I can't emphasize enough that that was extremely formative uh, in, in terms of my in shaping my uh, you know views on music and the role it played in our society and how it could affect people's lives. And uh, you know, I, I it it emphasized to me too how just how important music is in our lives. It, it was. To me, it's always been like the most elevated form of human communication and um, nothing since has ever dissuaded me from that idea.
1: This is Sleep When Dead by the Austin band, A Giant Dog. And I'm playing this because one of the many things Jim and Greg do is the South by Southwest wrap up. Like they come to our fair city of Austin, Texas for the South by Southwest Festival. And they recap their experience. And like part of what they do is they go to a billion shows. And then they let you know who their favorite acts were that they saw. And one of the bands that Greg Cott chose was A Giant Dog. Dog, who you are hearing right now and who I love with a capital L, like Andrew Cashin and Sabrina Ellis write the best songs. And they play in another equally amazing band called Sweet Spirit. And we interviewed them for this podcast and it's a great interview and you should totally listen to it because it'll make you happy to be like alive. So I was totally psyched when Greg singled them out as a great find from South by Southwest. And then Jim DeRogatis chose an Austin artist named Sorn who I have never heard of. And I've lived in this town for like, over a decade and a half. And Soren is like an incredible musician and a visual artist and a performance artist. And he's writing a graphic novel with Saul Williams. And like, how did I not know about him? But that's the thing, right? Like we need people like Jim and Greg to go to the Zillion Shows, to listen to all the new records and to let us know what there is out there what they like and what they don't like so that we can be encouraged to be artistic adventurers ourselves so that we can expand our ideas of what's out there and seek out the next thing that will be the bright light in our lives. If you want to hear more from Greg and Jim, you can head to their website or you can subscribe to sound opinions as a podcast on iTunes or stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. They've got like a lot of archived episodes, like, 595 episodes for serious, y'all. I'll post a link to the website and to iTunes on the show notes page for this episode. And if you want to hear more conversations like the one you heard with Jim and Greg, conversations with folks like Tegan and Sarah or Run the Jewels or Mark Mothersbaugh talking about songs that changed their lives, then you can head to the This Song section of the KUTX website or iTunes or Stitcher or like wherever you listen to your podcasts. We have 80 episodes. I mean, it's no 595, but still, I feel good about it. And while you're perusing Sound Opinions Archive or the This Song Archive, like, we'd love it if you'd leave a rating or a review. Go ahead, tap into your inner critic. If you'd like to tell us about a song that changed your life, well... Give us a call, 512-766-9066. Leave your story about a life-changing song, and maybe we'll put it on the show. That would be cool. And hey, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat. Our handle is at thissongkutx, or you can email us. Our email is this song at kutx.org. And that's it you have come to the end of another episode of this song this song is a production of KUTX 98.9 in Austin Texas this episode was produced and edited by David Sanger and me Elizabeth McQueen with help from Kelly Seal the interview was recorded by David Alvarez and Brendan Benazak Taylor Wallace curates our Instagram account and does a killer job Kelly Seal is our excellent intern Natalie Gayona is our marketing intern. Thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And yes, it's true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own hard proof. Be sure to check out the other KOTX podcasts, Austin Music Minute, liner notes, and Song of the Day on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.